All right, Meds, how you doing today? Happy Friday. Chilling, Cole, how are you? You know, I'm doing great. Just had my first drink of ice cold water uh, for the day. And uh, man, you know, water and weed, that's a way to start. That's a good nice. way to start a day. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm two steps behind you then. So if I start shriveling up like SpongeBob, you'll know why. <laughs> water. Yeah. So um, water. for folks that uh, don't know you, can you give yourself a brief introduction? Yeah, my pleasure. So um, I'm Meds for Heads. Um, that's what I go by on Instagram. And that's also my uh, publishing handle for some of my uh, review work and journalism with Illinois News Joint. Um, that's an online resource for all the news that's fit to print in uh, the Illinois cannabis scene. Um, and yeah, I'm a freelance writer and uh, budding hashish artist. So I've, I've uh, you can find a little story highlight on my Instagram page of some minor projects that I've done working with bubble hash to create little art pieces. And that's something that I uh, definitely really want to con continue. Um, and as far as the meds for heads page, you know, I've always wanted that to be a resource for patients. Cause when I started it, um, there was no recreational, it was all medical patients. And the only thing that they had to guide their decisions was these sort of anecdotal reviews. A lot were going to Leafly. And my problem with Leafly was, that people kind of only post sensational reviews that people only will say, Oh, it's the best shit ever, or the shit sucked. It didn't do anything. So, um, I wanted to have a little bit more of a descriptive objective kind of a platform for people to go check out the products before they spend way, way, way too much money on them. And, uh, I think now that the market has exploded with recreational, um, on one hand, I feel like some people don't, aren't as stringent with the quality they demand and, and just kind of want to participate and, and, you know, go to a shop that's near them and buy something easy, which is totally valid. And uh, others still, you know, are coming from the legacy market where the quality is just toppling over what we have in our regulated market. Um, so I'm kind of one foot in one foot out trying to bridge the gap uh, between these different knowledge bases and, you know, allowing us to find quality cannabis and celebrate it together. Yeah. And I always appreciate folks like you because this Illinois cannabis market is just not set up for anybody to make an informed purchase or an informed yeah. decision. So I think that folks like you bridge that gap, you know, I mean, you can't even look at product or smell it before you purchase it. So somebody like you that reviews it and gives me a good idea. So it doesn't feel like a complete fucking gamble when I go to the dispensary, you know? Right. Thanks. I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I've never been uh, I've never been sponsored by any cultivator. So I've never, you know, been given a sample and say, Hey, you know, talk about us. Nice. You know, I, I like to stay on the positive side if I am going to publish something. Cause if I, if I don't like something at all, I probably just won't bring any attention to it. And I'll like, you know, I'll tell my friends to avoid it. Um, but I don't need to stir up ill will or talk garbage on anybody. But, um, you know, if, if, I always try to seek the merit. That's like something that I like a mantra that I have in mind is seek the merit, find out what's good about something, even if it's not my favorite thing, what might it be good for, what context, what kind of people. Um, and so I just think that, and it, it, you know, when I was working in a dispensary, um, not currently, and I wasn't when I started the page, um, but I was for a couple of years and it was just my, my greatest pleasure and privilege to be able to use my experience to guide people to, uh, you know, to something that they'll enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, 
so you mentioned you're a freelance writer. Um, you're uh, an artist with hash, which uh, that's a that's an awesome combination. I'm actually trying to pull up some of your hash art right now. Um, let's see. You got the hash calendar. Is that a good one to show? The hash calendar is not my work, but that was really fun. Um, that was a project um, coming out of, I want to say, the Bay Area and some like Northwest uh, sure. you know, legacy yeah, producers. Um, that was a, a cool experience to be able to. What about um, this ha- hash sculpture? Is that you? That's the one. Yeah. That's where you'll find my stuff. Cool. I'm going to play this for um, folks that are watching the video, uh, chillinoy.net slash video, best way to find us on a video platform. And we're looking at some of this hashish art. Tell us what we're seeing here. Okay. So right there, um, you have some chain links that eventually became that bracelet that you see. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, most of these start off as just like deeply, deeply stoned ideas and stuff Mm -hmm. that I've never seen before that I just wanted to be a little funny (laughs) and creative with that. I'm really proud of that is hash Texas. Um, A couple of friends of mine uh, were from Texas and they had a, like a combined birthday. And so I, I tried to replicate the map of Texas and then I had each one of their initials uh, where, where they're from. So N and K is my, my boys, Nick and Kyle, they're from Granbury. And then the H is uh, my friend, Hannah from Houston. Very cool. And then um, I wanted to get a little bit more creative with the jewelry type links. Um, I, you know, I used to be a little bit more into like chains and bracelets than, than I am currently, but I just always found like the engineering and the, the style of it really fascinating. So I wanted to kind of replicate that with hash. And so you see the, um, you know, the, the simplification, but the kind of uh, dialing in of different kinds of chain links that you might see. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one is the uh, call of duty zombies ray gun. uh, That idea (laughs) was given to me by my man, Alex. Um, He's actually was the front man of modern vices. I think they're broken up now, but uh, still buy their records and stuff because they're great. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then I think there's one more after that, which will be kind of my greatest accomplishment to date, which is the hashery of images. Um, so this is 12 grams of hash and, you know, it comes from new era in the like powdery form. So I have to sort of temper it into mm-hmm. that solid workable form and then, uh, and then shape it. And so I, I kind of use Renee Magritte's treachery of images as my inspiration. And you have the, the hashtag in the center and then in French, it says, this is not hash. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So do you smoke these things after you? <laughs> uh, after long enough, yeah. The the links have been smoked. The ray gun has been smoked. This one is still, uh, this one is still stashed away in my closet. In fact, um, with, with, you know, sort of partnered with News Joint, um, Frenchie Cannoli, the hash legend, his family, Madame Cannoli, and uh, one of his apprentices are going to be coming to Wheeling um, to a grocery store to do a, a hash demonstration with their, you know, tried and true, super old water bottle technique. And uh, I, if I get to attend that, my plan is to give the hashery of images as a gift to um, the late French Cannoli's widow. Very cool. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Now you just mentioned, you mentioned it twice now. Let's make sure to plug it. Illinoisnewsjoint.com. Our friend Jason's there. Um, Mm -hmm. So shout out to them. Um, Freelance writing. So uh, you do your own writing, but you write for Illinois News Joint as well? Pretty much. So, um, you know, I, I 
since leaving the industry, I've supported myself um, writing for a, a medical tech journal. Nothing to do with cannabis, unfortunately, but maybe not too far off. I actually did do an article recently um, covering a technology called Kernel, where they have just published one of the first, um, you know, federally sanctioned uh, ketamine trials. And they're, the company that they worked with is called Cybin, and they uh, investigate different molecules. They're working with analogs of psilocybin, ketamine, and a couple of others. And they're kind of uh, on the, the sanctioned forefront of psychedelic research. Um, so this technology, uh, Kernel, it's a, a technology called Flow. It's sort of a brain helmet that allows for uh, incredible insights into the mind's activity when undergoing a psychedelic experience. So I think that with moves like this, um, you know, we'll see a lot more legitimization of exploratory chemicals and, you know, it's not going to be something that people do in the shadows giggling under, you know, a trippy tapestry. It's going to be something that, you know, we can talk about openly and use for therapeutic purposes. Yeah. And more importantly, uh, this is basically what you were just saying. So pardon me for rephrasing it, but understanding, just understanding it in general. Like I can't tell you how many times like with edibles or psychedelics, you like take a dose, but like nobody really know. like people will give you like, like, yeah, this is a good starter dose, but nobody really knows. And I, and I realize that this applies to all drugs. Like you know, sometimes Advil affects somebody way different than it affects another person. But at least we kind of know that. And we kind of know like that weight plays into it and metabolism plays into it. Maybe we don't discover anything new with with cannabis or these other drugs. But the point is, it's like it just seems like a fucking Christmas mystery every time you dose up. (laughs) Definitely. And what's crazy is like, you know, the like you said, People have different reactions to different things. People, you know, you have CBD being included in everything from lattes to skincare, but some people have aversions to CBD. Some people get migraines from CBD. Some people freak out and get panic attacks when they take too much CBD when it's not balanced with THC and another, you know, full spectrum of cannabinoids. Um, I've seen this. I've, I've talked to people for whom that's the case, as you know, when I was a bud tender and you know, all of these compounds, though people have been using them forever, from a systematic standpoint, they're pretty new as far as, you know, how we, uh, how we treat them, like, from a regulated perspective. So, you know, you might want to start somebody on a two and a half milligram edible, but even then you don't know if that's going to be too much or it's going to do nothing and they'll, you know, lose their patience and give up on it altogether. It's such a gamble. And so the more uh, hard research and the more science that's published on how the human brain and a variety of human brain conditions actually respond to these compounds, uh, we're going to be in a lot better spot to, to treat people with them instead of just guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, sometimes people will say like, with legalization that hospitalization goes up for either, you know, people taking too many edibles or for even children accidentally eating edibles. And my thing is, I think that that's always happened. Maybe not as frequently as it is now because the products are readily available. I think Mm -hmm. it's always happened, but I think people now realize they can be honest about it. 
So instead of being like, yeah, I don't know what happened to my kid. He's just weird. He's freaking out. They can say, look, he, he may have accidentally gotten into our edibles. Cause like Mm -hmm. in the past, and I don't know how it is nowadays. Like I've heard that, you know, some States are still a little tougher than others, but in the past, if you would admit to something like that, that especially involving a kid, they would surefire and involve DCFS and, you know, end end up in your child maybe being taken away. And so Mm -hmm. I think that legalization hasn't caused an increase, although more people may be trying these products. I don't think there's an increase in like, like, I don't think cannabis is any worse nowadays than it ever has been, which is a common talking point for critics of cannabis. It's, you know, not your grandma's weed is what they say. But I, I really just Thank think God it's God it isn't. My grandma smokes like shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I think it's just sheerly a side effect of being honest in the, in, in our society now. We don't have to lie about what may have happened. Definitely. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be discomfort as we sort of breach that hole of honesty. But the, definitely, I agree, the more transparent that we are, um, the the better we can handle situations like that where people do get overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you introduce, I've been saying this a lot lately, but if it's a talking point I heard from Hamilton Morris, uh, if you introduce a drug into any population, if you introduce anything into a population, death will find its way into it. You can die while having sex. You can die on the toilet. You can die eating a Twinkie. You know, does that mean we should, criminalize any of those behaviors no maybe all together <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right die on a toilet eating a twinkie um <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean like yeah. uh people people are people and like you say right they're sensitive you to certain things you can't enforce responsibility you can enforce you know uh dosage regulation you can enforce lab testing you can't enforce people's right to make a bad decision for themselves or any kind of decision yeah i mean you could argue that longboarding is more dangerous than cannabis especially in like colorado because like you get on a fucking hill man on a longboard and there's no stopping you there's just really no cannabis is a gateway drug to longboarding though i gotta say (laughs) yeah it definitely is you know all of a sudden you're like i want to (laughs) cruise so cool (laughs) <laughs> cool well so you know what what have you been writing about you know you got yeah hash art and stuff do you just do reviews or so i um you know the the reviews were a lot easier when i was working in a dispensary you know i had immediate access to everything i had a discount um now that i am on the outside of it i have kind of i'm still doing the reviews um i just met up with jason and uh we divvied up some uh, cannabis cup entries. So we'll hopefully be talking about some of the products that the cultivators have entered uh, as their their front runners for the cannabis cup in Illinois, the High Times People's Choice. I believe this is the the third one. Yeah, third annual. Um, I think so. so. I'll be looking at some some waxes from PTS. I'll be looking at some pre rolls from uh, Pharmacan, some gummies from Pharmacan, um, and then possibly some extracts extracts from Bedford Grow as well. And then apart from the reviews, um, I'm actually working on a couple of stories. Uh, one, I'm waiting to talk to uh, the homie Troy Hinky from uh, Living Living Roots Compost Tea. He was a presenter at NECAN, the, the business convention a little while ago. And his company is all about creating compost teas and compost products 
um, that can be used as beneficial amendments to any garden. Uh, he was talking about how you can even use compost teas in a hydro system, which I never even thought of. I thought it was, you know, kind of just was married to the whole soil ethos. But um, I'm going to be talking to him in a couple of days, sort of uh, getting the lowdown on compost tea and how any hobby grower can incorporate that into their regimen. Um, I know that I use compost teas, but I, I use kind of like pre-prepared ones um, that were just like in a bag that I steeped overnight and then watered in. I, I think that they were effective, but I feel like it could only be so much better if it was a, a real like vibrant, fresh product, which is why I actually started my own compost out back. Uh, I've been feeding it you know, fruits and vegetable scraps, eggshells, coffee grounds, and then just hopping outside, grabbing some dry leaves, layering, layering, layering. And um, I checked it the other day. There's some nice uh, fungal activity going on in there, a little bit of sporage. And, you know, as long as I keep turning that over, stirring it, watering it, and balancing out, um, eventually in a couple months, that'll break down into a nice, super rich soil that I can just give straight back to my plants. Um, so that's a cool story that I'm looking forward to. I'm also um, going to be doing a little profile on a Danish company called Hoy. Um, that's H-O with a slash J. Um, they make sort of higher end accessories. So they have a, a pipe called Cool and a grinder called Clip. And both of which are pretty unique. The grinder, instead of using teeth to grind, it uses... Uh, horizontal blades to slice up the flower. Um, and their proposition is that it's going to preserve the trichomes better, uh, make for a better smoke. It's also got interchangeable blades and screens so you can really customize the cord coarseness or fineness of things. Um, it's all modular and connected with magnets. So you can take out the, you know, the main, the, the Keef screen and make it all one chamber. You can kind of use it however you want. And then the pipe is, uh, all aluminum. Um, Interesting for me, I, I haven't, I have don't really have a lot of experience with uh, aluminum or metal pipes, but the idea is it has these um, indentations on the inside. It's two pieces and it comes, in fact, I can actually grab it and show you if you just want to hang on one second. Folks, we are doing a demonstration of a cannabis utility, uh, cannabis accessory. I can't think of the best way to refer to this as a cannabis accessory. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say a cannabis accessory is good. So this is the grinder clip and you see here that there's this blade. I can't really see the spinning. It spins. You can change the blade out and then rather than like give it that whole like double wrist action, like this rotates so seamlessly. I'm, I'm like scratching it like a record here. And because of the magnets, it just like levitates without friction. And, uh, you know, it could come apart here. I can take this part out and make it come back together smaller. Um, so definitely an interesting product there. Looking forward to getting more experience with it and, and seeing, uh, you know, how it really does function differently from a regular grinder. Something that I talked to the company founder, Simon, about is uh, how regular grinders were invented to remove oils and aromatics that are inside of plant tissue, like cardamom seeds, you know, a lot of like anise seeds, all these kinds of uh, oils that are trapped inside of vegetation, whereas cannabis is exactly the opposite. All of the resin is on the outside. So we want to do as little compression and pulverization of that as possible when we're treating our weed. 
And then this is the pipe, the cool. And um, you can see it has kind of a, a unique design. It was actually inspired by a Mako shark, um, just how it sort of uh, disperses heat and, and moves through the water. And then inside this comes apart magnetically and you have like some little teeth there and some little indents there. And uh, that is designed to cool the smoke down before it reaches you. I've only smoked this once yesterday so far because I just got it in the mail, but um, it definitely does cool the smoke down. You know, they, they claim it to be cough proof and I'm the perfect person to test that with because I have infant lungs and will cough at the drop of a hat. Um, I did cough a little bit, but that's probably of no fault of the companies. That's probably just me, uh, but it is smooth. It's nice. Um, the one thing I will say is it has kind of like a, a wide bowl, as you'll see, like wide and shallow, which to me means that you kind of have to light it every time. It doesn't really like roll like a, like a deeper bowl. Um, and then the taste I'm sort of getting used to, but you know, we'll, we'll see if that kind of works itself out as it's a little more seasoned, like a cast iron pan or something like that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's one review that you can look forward to that isn't uh, necessarily like an Illinois canvas product that's going to be on news joint relatively soon. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so, so what, it, like, do you have a favorite product that you, that you use? I personally am like, I like, I prefer papers, but if, if I, if my second choice would be between a bong and a bowl, I didn't know what sure. kind of. Well, my habits honestly have changed so dramatically in like kind of a short period of time. I used to smoke joints all the time. Um, and lately I've just kind of been re-examining my approach and rather than like just indulging in everything that's around me and like, if it looks good to smoke, I'll smoke it. I have kind of been retooling myself mentally and, and wanting to go in with more of like a minimalist approach and sort of only only take the dosage that's necessary for me which typically ends up being dabs for the most part definitely my my favorite consumption method is dabbing out of a rig um the puffco is growing on me every time i've used it um but there's just something about like just getting a big slurping lung full of terps off of a dab rig that's awesome um but another product that I really enjoy. I also I just am super into smoking hash, if you couldn't tell after me talking about hash for 10 minutes. But um, this Chillum I just got from Koala Tea Glass. It's a, it's a, not exactly a husband and wife. I don't think they're actually married, but they're, they're together. They're in um, downstate uh, Utica, Illinois. And this is a beautiful device for smoking hash. It's got a nice deep bowl with a super small aperture. And, uh, you know, you can hold it like this. You can hold it in like the traditional chillum grip like this. And, uh, it's awesome for, for smoking straight unadulterated hash with no flour. Oh yeah. That, that flour too, awesome. But I, I'm always looking for a pipe that makes, uh, you know, the, the exclusivity of smoking hash easier. Cause it's, you know, sometimes a, a tricky thing to get right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that's really cool. I like that you have versatility in what you write about. Um, keeps it interesting i'm sure you know um, yeah i also love covering events i love um you know in june i want to say there was uh this higher love event in evanston and it was sponsored by a few cultivators but it was put on um it was put on by a private events host and 
uh, high-minded. I was almost about to forget, but they, they had on-site consumption. It was totally sanctioned. And the way that they do it is this cool loophole where, you know, the cultivators can't bring product outside of the regulated system because everything is so scrutinized and tracked. But what they can do is have the host of the event or the, the venue owner or whatever, go to the store with a shopping list, get all that stuff, and then have equipment posted up with reps from the companies that can explain it. But it's, you know, it's now in private possession, it's out of the track system and can be liberally shared with anybody who buys a ticket. So people aren't actually buying cannabis, you know, circumventing the system. They're buying the opportunity to try some cannabis in a, in a fixed location, which I thought was pretty smart. Um, and that event was really fun. I mean, I've, I've been to a lot of, you know, weed events of, of different natures from, from, uh, you know, multi-course meals to, to tastings, to just, you know, more free form sessions and, kind of marketplace type events with, you know, vendors up and down rows. But uh, I would say this one was probably the most engaging and successful one that I've been to between the, uh, you know, the abundance of amenities, you know, there was, there was food and drink plenty, you know, your, your admission came with a certain amount of, uh, of food and drink. You didn't have to worry about spending extra and you could get high, you know, when you were there from a, a bunch of different methods and technologies, they were using the, the bellow, which I don't know if you've seen before, it's like a, it's a cup that you put a cartridge in and it fills up with cartridge vapor and you can like take a drink of, of cartridge. Um, that was unique for me. I had never experienced that. And they also had the, the Stundenbong in full effect, the, the big gravity pill. Um, they had some dab devices and it was just a really good time. They had some drag queens, uh, pretty much any, anything anybody could ask for. Yeah, that does sound like a good time. Um, I was just trying to find, you know, you brought up something that most people don't know, which is that gifting is legal in the state of Illinois. Um, the state of Illinois had a FAQ posted for a while that specifically said that gifting was legal. They've since removed that page. Oh, here, I found it. Um, you can still find it through the Wayback Machine because nothing on the internet disappears. Um, let's, oh, that's not what I wanted. Just sharing this for the folks, you know, cause there's a lot of questions about this. And I even asked the state about this, um, you know, from their perspective, this information is still correct. I don't know why they took it down. Oh, it's hard to see this, but, uh, yeah. frequently asked questions on the Illinois cannabis resource site. Can I give cannabis as a gift? Yes. As long as the person you're giving it to is age 21 plus and you do not receive any form of payment in exchange. I think the only exception to that is that, you know, yeah. you you cannot give away medical cannabis because that's allotted to you. But I think that goes without saying it's adult use cannabis. You can buy it. You can gift it. And a lot of people don't know about that. And so, as I say, sharing is caring. Share your share your cannabis, mm -hmm. folks. <laughs> so. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Share your cannabis. There, there's no consequence for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And in fact, when I was working at a dispensary, I actually had at least one customer ask if we gift wrap. Like they, mm. they were buying <laughs> yeah. like a, 
actual like birthday or Christmas present for somebody. Right. They were being totally honest. This is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, if the products weren't so goddamn expensive, I would just go and buy like an edible and enter it into like my, uh, secret Santa at my family's, you know, we do like a secret Santa thing every year. I would love to do that, but it's like, good Lord, I'll need to drive to Michigan to make it a reasonable purchase, For real. <laughs> you know, get a, get a good priced edible at $10, which is, which is what they should cost. Yeah. Any thoughts on the Illinois cannabis industry and how fucked oh, up boy. it is? Plenty of thoughts. Um, first of all, you said, you know, you asked the state a question and got a straight answer. I think that's a rarity. Um, dealing, dealing with, uh, you know, ID, PFR and IDPH, uh, you know, the, the Department of Financial and Professional Regulation that regulates dispensaries and the Department of Public Health that oversees the, um, and, and Department of Agriculture that both oversee the production of cannabis at the facilities. Nobody is on the same page. I have been in contact with different people from these departments for years. And it, I mean, yeah, nobody agrees with each other. Uh, it's very, very hard to get a straight, solid answer and a consistent answer as far as what is and isn't allowed um, for like nuanced things at dispensaries, like like what kind of IDs are valid? You know what I'm saying? Like dispensary GMs don't know. Owners of dispensary chains that are national don't know. Sometimes people from the state, you know, if, if there's two of them, one of them will say, yeah. And the other one will say, oh, really? I didn't think so. You know, and that's crazy in and of itself as far as just the, the haphazardness of regulation. Um, you know, the prices are out of control. That's nothing new. Um, I walked into, I was blown away. I walked into D33 downtown and just out of curiosity, I'd never been there. And they had the two most expensive products were a gram of rosin for like $125 after tax. And more than that was a gram of Dragon Tears distillate for like 134. For real, $9 more for distillate than for hash rosin and both in the triple digits. Where am I? Like what is (laughs) happening? Um, So I think that the Illinois market could do a vastly better job of responding to real consumers and uh, the expectations that the legacy market has been able to set by just having a incredibly dominant and evolving footprint. Whereas, you know, um, there's just no reason to be selling like cured crumble wax for $60, you know, and, and rosin for 80 to 90 bucks when you can get, I mean, you can, you can get low end BHO for like, eight dollars a gram on the black market you can get rosin for you know starting at 60 70 bucks for some some decent quality like if if what you want to do is smoke the best weed for the best price you pretty much have no reason to visit an illinois dispensary however i really do believe in the institution of the dispensary and uh the institution of the dispensary that relies upon passionate and knowledgeable people working there. Because if you have a dispensary that's just full of cashiers, basically, um, you know, no, no disrespect to those people, everybody needs a job, of course. And, 
you know, if, if you get hired, you're qualified, but I just feel like a lot of the shops that I've been to, they have like no, no vetting process. And the people that I work with just sometimes have very little practical knowledge to offer. You know, if I'm asking about specific products, I get a lot of, Oh, I haven't tried it. Oh, I'm not sure. And that's not their fault either. You know, the, the shit is prohibitively expensive. They, they don't do enough samples. Um, they don't equip bud tenders to provide that knowledge and they, you know, encourage them to latch on to marketing ploys and taglines and things. So it just becomes another hypey retail experience when, you know, it, it could so easily be, you know, at, uh, at a shop like the formerly known as Greengate, where I used to work, you know, we've really prided ourselves in our ability to listen to patients, understand them and really develop a relationship with them to see like what products that they've tried in the past, what they like, what they stick to. Um, and as far as the, the tailoring and, and the vast array of options, especially those, you know, less like fun and sexy options, like capsules and low dose edibles, RSOs, things like that, that like, you know, your, your local Mylar bag plug might not have next to his like Skittles and Sherbert and everything else. Uh, there's, there's really a place for that stuff. And, you know, if you're, if you're a plug and you're wondering, oh, why are people shopping at the dispensary and getting mids instead of shopping with me? Okay, well, are you going to sit down for 45 minutes with a 75-year-old patient and explain to them that weed isn't like it used to be and, you know, listen to their conditions and, and mash them up with products? Like, you might, but I, I think most aren't, uh, going to spend that time. And, you know, they, they want it to be a faster transaction. They, you know, get in, get out, don't attract too much attention. Whereas the ability to go into a brick and mortar store and be comfortable having a conversation, a consultation, and feel like you're listened to and actually like recommended something based on your needs versus, you know, what, whatever needs to sell. Um, I think that that is very valuable for people. And I, um, I hope that with the additional dispensary licenses being issued, uh, more shops will follow that model versus the sort of like fast food conveyor belt model that you see in some bigger chains. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. I feel like, um, so you asked earlier, like, why would, would somebody charge that amount, you know, for distillate or whatever? And you'd probably know the answer, but I wanted to like go go back to that thought. I truly just believe it's because they can, just because they can. Oh yeah, you know. And I and like, I think where else are you gonna go? A major of point of it is like, oh well, you know, you buy your cartridges for sixty five dollars a piece, and those are half grams of distillate. So I'm gonna sell you a full gram of distillate. You could fill two cartridges for, you know, the, the economics start to make sense when you when you break it down in the most expensive possible units that you're working with. Um, but truly, I mean, like none of these, none of these companies are producing in small batches. You know, there's, there's no excuse in my opinion to be but you know, see, hijacking these prices and, and be colluding in, in a essential like oligopoly. Um, no, but see there, there is to an extent because I wish that they valued the customer more. Cause I think that the value 
if you value your customer more, that would make a loyal customer. And then that would inherently increase your value as a company, Mm -hmm. because then that loyal customer would start talking about you and how great you are. And then you might gain another loyal customer. You know how this goes. You just treat your customer well, and then that you'll get rewarded. But I don't think that the way that they've got it set up again, it's in the attitude of where else are you going to go? I'm the only show in town. And by the way, I don't report to you. I report to my shareholders. Right. Totally. Cause they don't care. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to, they don't care about the relationship with you. They, they want their investor to not be yelling at them over the phone, you know? hundred percent. I mean, yeah, all of these, all of these organizations exist primarily to make a profit with the exception of like Shelby County. Um, yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. Uh, which I don't even know what the hell's going on with them anymore. I cannot figure it out. Like I've talked. Does? Yeah. Yeah. The, the last thing I heard was that they were being bought by a Canadian company or at least the cultivation was. And See, that that's what we heard too, but we had um, a representative, somebody who used to work with the company and, and that day that we had that show, they, they backed out of the deal from what I understand. Oh, wow. Or maybe it was the week after they, they said that they were not going to acquire Shelby. Actually, you know what? They did a halting trade around that day. They didn't announce that the deal had fell through, I think until a little bit later, but now that, not that any of that matters, I wonder, yeah, where it stands today. Cause I continue to see people pick up product labeled Shelby County community mm-hmm. services, but I don't. Yeah. It's still I don't on even, menu. Yeah. I just don't understand who's running it. Like it's got to be the same company, right? But like what has happened because I have heard, I had heard before then, like this whole, that whole story kind of was leaked via an employee that reached out and said like the working conditions are horrible. There's this deal going on. They're letting people go. Can you talk about this? So we started talking about it. Right. Um, But since then a lot of different things have happened and it's been really quiet. So I don't know what the hell's going on anymore with that that's crazy that's that's news to me the last thing i heard from a shelby employee was uh on the day that i was working at Greengate when we got our like last delivery from them and they said uh this was like in march they said there's literally like a dozen people working at at the entire facility like they completely shut down the edibles department all they make is a little bit of flour and a little bit of rso and they just don't have the resources or capacity to be doing much else right now which is really a shame because i actually really did fuck with their product line um the fudge balls the caramels even the chocolate chip cookies like and the i I think even they did a little bit of rosin it was it was dark as night but i think if they had stuck with it it could have been decent yeah one thing that always left a bad taste in my mouth and you know take this for what it's worth i haven't brought this up until now, because I feel like if I would have brought it up any sooner, uh, I would have revealed my source or whatever. But I, you know, they have SCCS has talked about how they employ special needs employees, which sounds like a nice thing. Um, but I've heard that, that the working conditions for those employees are not great. And that's always left a bad taste in my mouth. Now, whether or not they still employ those people, I don't know. But to hear that they were mistreated has always pissed me off <laughs> to the, you know 
So, that's but a again, shame. I mean, that's like something that I, I continually find myself disappointed by. Um, yeah. I want to be clear though, really quick. Cause you, you gotta be careful throwing around allegations like that. Like I don't have proof of that, but the person that told me that, like, I don't see why they would need to lie about that, you know? Sure. So, and you know, anybody who, who leaves an organization is, uh, you got to expect a little bit of disgruntlement. Right. You know and that's like, the thing I, those, that person, I want to be very clear. They had just left. So I want, I want to try to be very clear about this. I don't want to just throw an allegation out there and you know yeah no that's totally fair i mean wh- whatever is is or isn't happening there um i think it speaks to a greater pattern in the industry where you know from the consumer side like we'd love to think that there's this you know this like wizard of oz curtain that behind it is like just happy people Right. whistling and trimming away and you know <laughs> watering with love and giving the plants a little kiss but it's not like that, man. Like, yeah, even, it's business. Yeah, even the the one facility that I have gotten to tour, which is Bedford, um, it, it was super clean. It was great. It was kind of everything that you would want to see uh, in your medical cannabis production establishment. And and I will say that at that point, the trimmers did seem happy to be there. You know, we we walked by a room full of them. They were laughing and they were in good moods and stuff like nobody seemed like they were uh you know being oppressed per se but you know there's there's other things that you might see in there that may surprise you and I'm gonna go ahead and leave it at that but uh basically however I'll just put it like this however ethical you think your medical or recreational cannabis producer is they're less Okay, they're still a big company. And they're going to and like you said, they have investors to report to. So they're going to try to squeeze as much labor out of as little or as little paid of a labor force as they can. They're going to, you know, reuse their garbage, they're going to run all of their trim and shake into whatever they can make from it. Absolutely. Thanks for making that point. I always try to make the point that the industry is lossless. They don't throw anything away. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not, it's not this company or that company. It's all of them. Okay. Right. Like everybody is color correcting. Everybody's using a CRC column in their extracts. It's just, it's, it's that financial drive. It's somebody saying, Oh, like, well, you know, why aren't you making this? Why aren't you offering that? And, and like you said, it's, it's lossless. They're not able to throw out a product that, you know, somebody else, stop it. Sorry, my cat's being nuts. Um, we're used they're to not cats able here. to <laughs> they're not able to um to justify waste so right. they have to they well, have they to can... use what they considered a waste product to create uh something that ends up in a, pro- a package that has the word premium in it the word yeah. premium is the most meaningless term in the entire industry and most overused because there's just it's so arbitrary there's no designation other markets i don't know how they actually determine this but they have a tier system you know you'll you'll go to to michigan or elsewhere and you'll find tier one flower tier two flower and it'll be priced accordingly here everything is oh hand watered hand curated hand cultivated water you know grown with love and care and respect for the plant and from seed you know everything is the most adjectives that it can possibly be ultimately you know it's it's the same weed grown in cocoa and fed with a drip system and you know, yeah. it, it it can, it can be good. I'm not saying that it, it all sucks. It, it can certainly be good, but you just got to approach it with realistic expectations and, you know, not, uh, 
not with a, a naive sort of perspective, like these companies are out to take care of you or provide the best that they can for you. They're, they're trying to provide for themselves and in the process may make something good. Yeah. I mean, the way I put it is these industrial scale growers have to employ industrial scale techniques, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to remediate. They are not going to throw away product. Like you brought up the shake, uh, you know, shake and maybe darker concentrates. Let's make that into edibles because then the end product is just a pretty chocolate bar. Nobody thinks like, Oh, that doesn't look that good. Like right. it's a chocolate bar. So, you never so know. yeah, you don't have to lose anything. You can just, if it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing to the eye, fuck it. Let's infuse it. You know, yeah, blast it into distillate and twirl it around a pre-roll and charge $45 for a joint. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. But when you look at it from a profiteering standpoint, it does make sense. How can I make the most money? How can I make the most money? Well, I'm not going to throw anything out. I'm not going to give anybody any deals. Fuck that. Who the fuck do you think you are? I'm not going to give you a fucking deal. I'll pay, you know, they've done math to see how much people are willing to pay. And look, the, the Pritzker administration just announced the other day, we're still seeing record breaking sales, you know, tax dollars are flowing in. I can't remember what the figures are right now. Maybe I could pull that up, but the point is the milking ain't slowing down. And I don't think, no, not that, at all. yeah. So. Especially, especially as new brands come on the market or, or old brands under the guise of new brands, you know, everybody is having like that. There's plenty of new, uh, ultra premium or California born options that, you know, it's, it's just a set of SOPs that are transferred to Illinois, same weed, same growing conditions and everything. We don't automatically have Humboldt County soil. We don't have the California sun. Okay. Like even if it's Floracal, even if it's fig farms, it's still coming from that same facility in downstate Illinois, which could be great, but it's not going to even be close to as great as it would be over there where they have, you know, the experience and everything like totally dialed in where it's not just a new name to revitalize interest in the market. It's actually, you know, something that has to compete with an extraordinarily saturated market full of real competition instead of the artificial competition that we have here. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, we keep saying it, Um, And I've heard other people say it too, which is like cool that people are, you know, keeping their eye to this. But I think that it wouldn't be surprising to see when another craft cultivator comes online and they have something to put on shelves that all of a sudden you see this price floor drop. Because, I mean, you just look at a state like Arizona or, I mean, even Michigan, Cresco has, let's just use Cresco as an example. I know Cresco is... Uh, active in Arizona and Michigan, and they offer, let's just describe them as much more compassionate pricing. Mm. Let's just describe it that way. Um, They're the same company. I mean, unless there's something economic, like within economics that I'm not understanding, which is totally possible. I'm not an economist. Um, I don't understand why that same company, like, look, Coca-Cola doesn't charge $5 for Coke in North Dakota, but then $2 in Florida, right? Are you following me? Like this is just, I I feel again, maybe because of the market conditions and there's something about, you know, the study of (laughs) the economy that I just don't understand. But to me, 
this is the same company that could offer these pro these products at the same price and they're just not doing it again it's kind of like what i said at the beginning of the show where else are you going to go you're going to drive to michigan okay go go ahead yeah <laughs> you know other people will well, just buy it here actually, for convenience you know i actually and, just out of pure curiosity looked on my phone the other day uh a a, a one-way trip from rogers park where i live to some destination in michigan i think i put in detroit um which there's closer cities and that would be like 200 bucks so round yeah. trip we're talking 400 mm -hmm. if i wanted to get a 150 dollars ounce i'd still be doing better than if i went to the store six blocks from me and got an ounce there right yeah i mean that's um, just it that's just but it. but i think that you you hit on an a, a, an excellent point there with the coca-cola because coca-cola is universally recognized it doesn't really compete with anybody because they're a category leader to it and uncompetitively dominant degree cresco right. doesn't have to compete in illinois because they dominate illinois but they do have to compete in those other markets because there's other companies that aren't in a price lot cartel that are actually trying to outsell each other versus here when all the companies know that they have the market essentially hostage and can charge whatever they like yeah well said. Well said. Yeah. And I think it's, it really is just as simple as that. People like, people like to overthink this stuff, but yeah, I like that you just used that example. Cause some people, um, I'm like a really active in Illinois trees and there's a lot of, uh, people that will post like, go to Michigan, go to, go to Michigan. But then there'll be a few people that will be like, you know, with as high as gas prices are nowadays. And I'm like, no, it, you don't, I didn't don't factor even, that in. It's probably worse. But no, it's not. It's it's really not. Like it really isn't. If you do the math, like okay, you can buy. I don't know. Like I've gone, I've gone in the past, and you can just get concentrate and cartridges and flour at extremely reasonable prices. I remember mm -hmm. spending like four hundred dollars for something at a store that would have cost me fourteen hundred dollars in Illinois. <laughs> I mean, it, it literally was just like so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I it, it depends on how much you're purchasing with the gas price. Now, gas prices are falling, so maybe it's sure. But but yeah, but I mean, no, either the, way, <laughs> the point remains. You know, like if if it makes even a little bit of sense to go two states over and stock up and come back, than it does to go to you know six different shops in your neighborhood. Something's fucking wrong, right? You know what I mean? Like, and and. I feel like I've, you know, done a 180 from my, like, my uh, advocacy of the dispensary system, but I, I really haven't. It goes hand in hand. I I want things to change, but I also believe in their potential. So yes, it really yeah. takes those, those knowledgeable, caring people at the dispensary to guide people through the muck and the mire to an actually good deal, which is based on value, not price, because- People will buy, you know, $60, $80 quarters of shake every week because it's the best deal, but it's not really the best value. Yeah. So, you know, you, there just needs to be a little bit more care like, yeah. at every level. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And this might be an interesting topic to close out on. If you stray from purity on anything in cannabis, you are attacked by the cannabis community. And it's not always so bad. We're actually a pretty mellow crowd, but there are, there is a, definitely a group um, of folks 
myself included, like I consider myself as part of this group. I try not to be an asshole about it though, which they're like trying to correct the nomenclature, the language, the information, for example, like I'll just throw myself under the bus. One thing I'm constantly harping on is like the Indica sativa hybrid, the terpene thing. It's all more or less bullshit Uh, selling. It's a selling tactic is really what I'm not saying that, you know, people haven't found luck in using that as a way to purchase their product. I'm just saying it's used as a selling tactic. Right. Um, but then, you know, your example right there, when you are actually trying to point out some improvements we could make to dispensaries, you feel like you've even just felt then that you could be painted as a critic. I think it's just interesting that when you like, it's difficult. I wish people could see the nuance in the approach, right? It's like, Hey, I, it's not like you're saying there shouldn't be legal dispensaries. These no, are problems. Like you're, you're so many steps from that you're saying yes we should have legal dispensaries but is this the way it should be is this the way it should be (laughs) you know the the legal market should take more cues from the legacy market that it would not exist without okay people have been buying cannabis from each other and manipulating it and manufacturing it into different things for so long i mean it's it's it didn't take you know, Mr. GTI, Mr. Cresco to come up with the idea of a butter or an edible. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody can grow weed. Okay. I I'm about to finish my first harvest right now. And I I always felt when I was selling it and, you know, involved in talking about it, but hadn't grown it myself. I felt like there was a, a piece missing to my understanding. And obviously I'm not an expert after one grow, but to, to see the, level of quality that can be produced in a three foot by three foot tent with a shitty led and just constant love and adoration versus a multi-million dollar 800 square foot facility or whatever it is like it's i mean it's night and day it's it really shows you that in order to to produce on an industrial scale at the same level as you would be able to you would be able to produce at home as a hobby grower you need hundreds of hobby growers at that facility that can actually lend that love and care because you can, you know, you can write a million SOPs, you can get the best nutrients and everything. But if you're just hucking pounds of bud into a trimming machine and you know what I'm saying? And, and feeding them the salts that will make them grow the fattest and get you the biggest biomass and the biggest numbers at the end of the quarter versus, you know, actually checking in on your bud and smelling it and touching it and seeing if it's happy or not like that we're just going to be trapped in this cycle of of scale overpowering quality um but i don't want to be too pessimistic about that i would like to think that some of these craft growers have their head on right and uh know how to manage their their output um and and their scale at whatever they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting how that, all, that is all playing out because, you know, with, with the 14,000 square feet of horizontal canopy space. Um, yeah. It's just interesting how that's playing out. Cause some people are like, Oh, that's really limiting. Some people are getting ingenuitive and they're saying, you said 14,000 horizontal. So what yeah. I'm going to do is, I'm going to make 14,000. Yeah. Stacked up. And that's yeah. going to be my 14,000 horizontal square feet of 
flowering canopy just gonna have a lot of fucking levels layers. to it yeah layers like an onion or an ogre yeah yeah so um pretty crazy stuff uh like like you say I, i'm optimistic look this is you why we otherwise you get depressed well, and here's the thing. It's inevitable. I, I don't think that we're going to lose this battle, which is exactly why I've never like devote, like we definitely have had a primary focus on cannabis, but we're able to, to branch out to other topics like, you know, psychedelics and sex work and whatever the case may be, because I truly believe that this conversation we're having about cannabis and like this, this like, ah, why are things the way they are? Like, that's not going to last much longer. It's only a matter of time before that bullshit is out the window. Everybody is starting to realize it. Like I said, I've heard, you know, we're saying the same things. You you read people saying the same things online. Obviously, people are starting to realize that this is not the way things should be. Okay. So naturally, in my opinion, these things will not continue. Hopefully, we'll see something closer to the tomato model in the future, which is like the idea that large and small scale cultivators can thrive side by side. You know, along with independent producers, like, you know, you, you're producing in your home garden, you know? Yeah. And and I would love to see, I would love to see dispensaries, um, you know, sort of like they are out West. I know in, in Colorado and in California, some places you can get like seeds and clones. Like I would love to see, uh, the, the dispensary market be more empowering of home growing, not to say, Oh, I mean, you can, if you want to, but, um, Mm -hmm. actually, encouraging people with more, more resources, more education, more access, um, you know, more, more advocacy for people that, you know, aren't homeowners, but are patients and want to contribute to their own supply. Uh, but really, I, I think that the more that you, the more that you touch the plant and, and sort of foster your own independence, uh, the more satisfied you'll actually be the, the less, uh, you know, the more control that you have over your own, um, your own medication. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. Yeah. I think, um, it's just a matter of time before things go that way, you know? Um, and, and then we'll have other things to improve, right? We can start to talk about improving the psychedelic industry and like, there, you should be able to cultivate your own mushrooms at home. That'll be the conversation next. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, well, cool. Uh, any any last thoughts on just the the general trajectory of uh, the way we're doing this thing, drug policy, anything else? You know, I think that we really covered a lot. Um, I guess I'll close it up just by saying that uh, the the people in the boardroom need to need to listen and take more input from people in the grow room um, and not, you know, not lose sight of which green is really most important to the the end user Yeah, because people will, people will always vote with their dollars. And, you know, if the legal market is not providing something that makes sense for consumers pockets, there is, a billion other options for them to go to. So uh, we really need to hold our regulated market to a high standard because um, if we don't, then, you know, the, the legacy market will always be there to provide whatever you need. Yeah. And to, to 
quickly piggyback that off of that and something else you, you just mentioned, like these growers should not be intimidated by small scale cultivators like yourself and others. In fact, they should welcome you because what if you crack something, you figure something out or you're just really good at it. Like they could mm-hmm. recruit you as an employee. Like it, it is, it doesn't have to be about what can we lose? It could be about what can we right. gain? What can Symbiotic. we gain? Yes, exactly. Thank you. So I think that's a good note to close on. Um, oh, yeah. You know, this, this industry would be better if we all worked together. And I know that sounds like singing around the campfire simpatico, but I, I truly believe that it's a step in the right direction. So. Totally. I mean, you, you can't be all the way cynical when you're talking about weed, you know what I'm saying? Like you have <laughs> yeah. to, it has to be a little bit fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, with that meds, uh, well folks, again, we'll have, um, links in the podcast description so that you can follow meds for heads on Instagram and all of the other social media, um, and, you know, outlets that they're on, you do freelance writing, so you can check them out there. Um, definitely check out those links in the podcast description so that you can connect with them and check out their work. Um, and thank you so much for sitting down. Hey, with me. I'd love to have you. Nice talking to you. Yeah. I'd love to have you back on again in the future, maybe even make it happen in person so we can sesh up That's and, what's up. uh, and yeah. So cool. Well, Chillinois, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I sure did. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Chillinois podcast. All right. Take